0: Now, without further ado, this episode of the Daily Reprieve.
1: I'm really glad to be here uh, with all of you from literally all over the world. What a great, uh, what a great meeting and a great idea, Luke. So, thank you for inviting me. Um, yeah, I, I thought I'd talk a little bit about gratitude and higher power during difficult times because. Uh, the last few months for me have been pretty difficult with the, uh, coronavirus pandemic. And I, I know it plays differently in, in different areas. Uh, of course, I can only speak to my own experience about it and I'm, I'm not interested in getting into opinions about it or politics about it, but more, uh, how has it affected my recovery? And what have I, you know, been trying to do about it really, I suppose. And, uh, how have I been able to uh, stay sober? So, um, maybe um <clears throat> a little bit of history uh i was addicted to pornography from the moment i first saw it and uh i don't know which came first the pornography or the masturbation but they all they all came together when i was a teenager and 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 i was hooked from the beginning and um uh you know, my story is not really that dramatic. It's just a story of a guy who mostly had sex with himself, occasionally with others, uh, was very self absorbed. You know, that, that line in the book, uh, our isolating obsession, <coughs> excuse me, obsession with sex and self, certainly applied to me. I had an isolating obsession with sex and self. Um, uh, I, was, I was a religion teacher in a Catholic high school and I was having an affair with another teacher in the school who was married to somebody uh, you know obviously not myself so you know I was a mess I was a mess when I came into uh sex anonymous um I'm also an alcoholic and uh I had uh, stopped drinking but I was still acting out and lusting and uh you know uh <clears throat> I have a I have an older brother Terry and he uh he got sober before I did and uh he was telling me about his sobriety and i was pretending to be supportive of him but i was just keeping my own secret you know like i can't tell this guy who's <laughs> telling me he's sober that i'm not you know and finally one day i just couldn't take it anymore i don't know what happened i said to him me too two words me too and uh i've been sober just about ever since then he took me to a meeting and um I didn't like the meetings at first. I didn't like. Uh, I didn't like the fact. It's one thing to be an alcoholic. It's another thing to be a sexaholic, or at least it was to me. And uh, I didn't like the idea of being a sexaholic. I didn't like being in the rooms with you people. Like I kept. I'd hear stories, and I think you know that were worse than mine, quote unquote, worse than mine. And I and I I'd, I'd think, oh, geez, that guy's a real pervert, you know. And then one day I I just happened to look in the mirror and think, well, you're at the same meeting he is. What does that make you? And, uh, you know, uh, that's who I am. I'm a sexaholic. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I found that, you know, there's a lot of things that are important to me staying sober that I learned over the years. You know, um, I suppose, you know, not in any particular order, but but things that I learned that I now have to relearn in the age of the pandemic. Uh, I have to have them uh, take on a new priority. one was uh that when I talked to another sexaholic, I always had to tell the truth about what was going on in my sick head, and that if if i if I told some if I checked in with my sponsor and said oh i'm I'm doing fine today that that was ninety nine percent chance gonna be a lie uh that on one level I might be doing fine, but there's usually almost always something going on with me that can lead me back into that isolating obsession with sex and with self. And that if I didn't talk about those things that were in my head, that if I kept any secrets at all, uh, I probably wasn't gonna stay sober. So I guess I guess rigorous honesty was one of the things I, I learned early on. Um, uh, the second uh, thing that, that I learned is that in any battle with lust, I was gonna lose. Sometimes it might appear initially that I might win for a while. In other words, I'd drive by the bookstore and I wouldn't go in. But then I'd be thinking about it for four days and then four days later I'd go in. You know, and I i would convince myself that I had some power over lust. I, I didn't. And it's it's that thing, you know, where they say it's cunning, baffling, powerful, but also patient. And uh I sometimes didn't understand that early on, but I learned that in Sexaholics Anonymous. Um another one that I talk about a lot, uh, which some people think it's kind of funny, but it worked for me, as I learned how to look at the sidewalk when I walked down the street. I was told by my sponsors, I kept telling him, I'm taking a lot of looks. And he said, well, why don't you stop looking? And I, I being a really smart guy, I said, well, how would I do that? And he said, well, it's really pretty simple. Look down at the sidewalk. He says, you can look up when you're going to cross the street, because I don't want you to get hit by a car. He said, but otherwise, just don't look at people when you walk down the street. And uh, you know today i'm I'm sober and most of the time I'm in good enough shape that I can look at people when I walk down the street, but every once in a while I still have a day where I really have no business looking at anybody because i'm looking I'm looking for something that I don't need to be looking for, and when that happens, I have that skill today that I was taught how to look at the sidewalk. Um, Step two uh, talks about Cain to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Um, For me, that couldn't happen until I really understood step one. And to me, the greatest sentence in all of 12-step literature is the question that starts step one in the AA 12 and 12. And it says, who cares to admit complete defeat? And then, of course, right after that, it says practically no one. And then, to paraphrase, at some point along there, it says, "Except the dying." And although I wasn't physically dying, when I came into SA, I was I was spiritually dead. Um, I would lie to people to their face about whether I loved them, so that I could have sex with them. And uh, that's that is a such a deep lack of integrity that uh, we call it in my religious upbringing. We call it a mortal sin, and. Uh, And I, I, that was me. Um, And so for me to get to a place where I could believe that a power greater than myself uh, could restore me to sanity, I had to really, really not just know in my head, but I had to know in my bones that in any battle with lust, I was going to lose that I was powerless and that that lust always eventually, even if it sometimes appeared not to initially, it always made my life unmanageable. It always made my life worse. And sometimes early on I would question that, and then I'd realize the answer is, well, if it made your life better, what the heck are you doing in a Sexaholics Anonymous meeting, you know? Like, who would come here if lust was still making their life better, you know? I like to pick on someone when I talk, and Luke on the screen is right next to me. Plus, he made the mistake of inviting me, so I'm going to pick on Luke today. But, you know, if Luke was happy lusting and acting out, what the heck would he be doing running a Zoom meeting with 52 people on it? I don't think he would be. And um, so every once in a while when I, you know, have that euphoric recall and remembering only the the good time or the high or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, I'd have to remind myself. If you were so happy, what are you doing here? Because uh, there's not honestly, there's you know, there's I don't know how many people live in the world. I think it's a few billion, and you know we think we got a big meeting here with fifty-two people. But you know, there's there's a lot of people who who apparently don't want or don't need Sexaholics Anonymous. I'm just not one of them. So anyway, um, I needed to be restored to sanity because for me, insanity was thinking that this time. If I acted out, it would be different than last time. This time, it wouldn't make me feel ashamed of myself. This time, it wouldn't make me feel miserable. Um, You know, I've told the story. I I acted out one time, and I was driving away from this, uh, I don't know what you call it. Let's just call it place of pornography. (laughs) And I was driving away, and I was giving myself all this positive self-talk. You know, it's okay. You're human. Everybody makes mistakes and trying to make myself feel good. And the next thing I knew, without my even knowing it, I had pulled over to the side of the road and I was slamming my fist into the steering wheel of my car, screaming, not again, not again. Uh, So I needed to be restored to sanity. And um, connection with what, what Roy calls in the book, the real connection. That's what I needed. I needed to connect with other sexaholics who were staying sober, not just with other sexaholics, because I found early on that some of the times in the meetings, people just kind of wanted to share war stories, you know? Oh, this horrible thing Luke did, and this horrible thing I did, and this, and that's fine, you know, we, we do need to share our stories, but there comes a point where I needed someone to help me to not do it anymore, not just to feel bad for me that I did do it. I, I needed someone to, to challenge me, and, and thankfully, I got a sponsor who did, you know, and uh, he told me that being restored to sanity was not really that complicated, because, you know, I, I was in seminary, and I, I, I kind of think I'm a theologian, you know, and I really like to think things through, and he said, well, this is really complicated, this second step. Being restored to sanity means staying sober, don't act out, and you will be saner than if you keep acting out. And we got a long way to go, but that'll be a good starting point. If you don't act out, you'll uh, you'll get saner, um, and that and that sanity will be coming from something greater or someone greater than yourself, however you define that. And on this call, I'm sure we have Catholics, Protestants, Jews, Muslims, and atheists. Doesn't matter. All that matters is that. That higher power, it, it it had to be greater than myself, and it couldn't be me, and that was the good news and the bad news because I kind of wanted it to be me. You know, I still do sometimes. I'd really prefer, actually, if I could just figure this out all by myself. Just didn't work for me. So, um, staying in staying in the real connection with you folks has been the key, really, to my whole life. You know. Today, I, I celebrated 36 years of marriage uh, on September 1st, and it's not any coincidence that I s- celebrated 36 years of sexual sobriety on June 3rd, because I got sober three months before I got married. And there's absolutely no way, thank you, Stephen, there's absolutely no way that uh, um, whatever my good intentions, and my intentions are almost always good. Well, no, they're not, but they're frequently good. But whatever my good intentions uh, no chance of me staying sober, uh, I'm sorry, no chance of me staying married unless I stayed sober. So um, so I want to kind of travel forward a little bit to uh, early March. I was on an annual retreat I go on with some friends of mine up at the Catholic Seminary here in Chicago. And um, we were going in for mass on the last day of our retreat. And the priest came in and said, after this mass, we're shutting down the retreat house because of this coronavirus. And that's when it first hit me that um, things were going to be different. Um, So we went to mass and uh, then we packed our bags and we came home and we were supposed to have, we have an annual St. Patrick's Day party at my house every year. It's uh, one of the few Sober St. Patrick's Day parties, at least in Chicago. Uh, So anyone who wants to go somewhere and have a good time, but uh, have an alcohol-free zone, that's what we do. And uh, we had to cancel it. And I was crushed. We've been doing this every year for 30 years. It's a big deal for my family, for my wife's family, and for a lot of our friends. And it's a safe haven for a lot of people, including (laughs) myself, frankly. (laughs) And uh, we couldn't do it. And when my wife first suggested we were going to cancel it, boy, did I want to argue with her. But I've learned something over these years, and I've learned talk to somebody else first when you're upset about something. Don't talk to the person you're upset about till you talk to somebody else. Now, do I always do that? No, <laughs> but I do it most of the time, and I save myself a lot of trouble that way. So I talked to my friend who was on this retreat with me, and I said, uh, she she thinks we should cancel the party and he's one of the guys who comes to the party you know and uh, and all he said was I, I know you feel really sad and upset about that. I don't think it's worth a fight with your wife. First of all she's probably right and second of all and of course she was but and 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 second of all even if she isn't is it is it worth is it worth the tension is it worth the conflict you know. So I didn't fight with my wife I just called her back and said okay And then I went somewhere by myself and cried like a baby, and uh, and that's okay too. Um, So the last, God, I guess it's almost six months now since then. It is six months now since then. The last six months have been very different for me. I watch my on Sundays. I watch Mass on TV. I don't go to church. Uh, On Wednesdays, I get on a meeting like this. My home group a Wednesday night. Uh, St. Teresa's Holy Innocence Group. We have just like this, 50 or 60 people. Um, and it's great. Thank God for Zoom. Literally, thank God. Thank you, God, for Zoom. And thank you, all the people <laughs> who know how to do all this stuff. Because I, someone just sends me an address, and I do what they tell me, and somehow you all appear. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> but I'm grateful for it. And at the same time, it's not quite the same, at least for me. You know, it's not quite the same as 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 seeing people and as the physical interaction. And at least in Chicago, we're not we're not there yet. I I know some other places are. Um, I work downtown Chicago. I've been in my office maybe once a month, maybe twice a month over the last six months. I'm mostly working from home. In fact, I'm mostly sitting in this chair doing something similar to what I'm doing now, whether it's meetings, church, work. and sometimes I go out of my mind because I'm a pretty active person and I like to interact and uh, I like my quiet time, but not this much. <laughs> and uh, and I also find, and I don't know how many of you find this, but I also find it uh, somewhat uh, scary at times. It's like, you know, my wife has some health issues. And although I think of myself as young, I'm 63 years old and, and so is my wife. Uh, And uh, she's got some health issues that make, you know, her high risk person, if she got this virus, you know, it would not be a good thing. And uh, it scares me. And what do I want to do when I'm afraid? I want to do two things. I want to lust and I want to obsess. I want to lust because I want some relief. And they want to obsess because they want to pretend I'm in control. And can I figure out? Can I figure out when we're going to get rid of the corona? Can I figure out the election that's coming up? Can I figure out my son who uh, in Chicago, the public schools have gone back only virtual, only online, but the parochial schools, the Catholic schools have gone back in person. And my son teaches in a parochial school. So he's in front of, you know, 150, 200 kids every day. And he basically can't come home to see his mother or me because I mean we you know we see each other like in the backyard you know (laughs) keep ten feet away and all that stuff but he can't even come in our house and uh, there's times where I get either angry or just overwhelmed angry sometimes but mostly just overwhelmed by this whole experience it's so it talk about a power greater than myself coronavirus is a power greater than myself unlike my higher power coronavirus is not trying to help me. And um, so there's times I, you know, I find, I find, I don't have for the most part, too many struggles with lust in my recovery these days. Um, But certainly the instances of temptation to go to euphoric recall or some old memory or a a fantasy or, you know, to keep that eye following the person who's walking down the street, um, the temptations are higher for me and it's simply a matter of um i'm depressed i'm overwhelmed i don't know what to do and my first reaction when i when i'm that way is to to want to lust um so what i do about it is what i've been doing about it for the last 36 years i'm just having to do it more get on the phone call somebody tell them the truth make sure in my meeting that I, i share honestly um You know, as Roy says in the book somewhere, uh, it's not anguish dumping and it's not even catharsis, it's surrender. I say what I need to say with the specific intention that by saying it, I am not going to do it. And that's the amazing thing about Sexaholics Anonymous is that actually works. And I've been doing this for 36 years. And it's a crazy thing, Luke, think about this. After 36 years, I have no idea why it works. I know if I look at somebody and I keep looking at them that I shouldn't do this. And so if I tell myself not to do it, I'll, I'll keep doing person. and Luke tells me, you know, Luke's a smart guy. He's going to tell me, don't do it. I won't do it. I have no idea why that works. If I tell myself don't do it and make this a battle between lusts that I'm engaged in within the four walls of my brain, it will not work. Like I said earlier, it might appear that it's going to work for a short period of time, but believe me, it will not work. But if I tell you, not just dumping, not just catharsis, not just get it off my chest, but if I tell you in a spirit of surrender, I won't do it. I'll stay sober. And so I've had to do more of that in the corona. Time of Corona. Um,
2: Five minutes left, Mike.
1: All right, great. Thanks, Luke. Um, The other part of it, our isolating obsession with sex and self, even when I'm not lusting, in the time of Corona, I find my temptation to obsess. This isolating obsession with self has gone up. And again, nervous, nervous, anxious scared uh overwhelmed and what do i want to do i want to retreat into myself um and so i like i said i can obsess about the coronavirus itself i can obsess about my son uh you know i i can uh it, just simple things like you know when am i going to be able to go to a movie or to a symphony or to a play you know uh Or I drive downtown to work the few times I go, and I'm so happy to be there. But then as I'm walking back to my car and I look around, there's about 10% of the amount of people down there that there used to be. And I'm sort of like, where is everybody? And it unsettles me. And the next thing I know, I'm spinning about that. When's it going to come back? When's it going to get better? I have no idea, you know and I want to control things that I'm absolutely powerless over. And so um, I walk a lot. And when I walk, I pray, and I pray a specific prayer uh, from my religious tradition. And uh, I had an injury uh, recently, and I've I've had to cut back on my walking. And sure enough, as my walking was cut back, my prayer life was cut back. And so I literally had to call my physical therapist and say, "Would it'll be okay if I at least walk three quarters of a mile. I didn't tell him the second part, but that's enough time for me to get my prayer. in, Because <laughs> I usually walk three miles a day. And he's like, you can't do that till this injury heals. But now I can walk six blocks a day and I can get back to my routine because this coronavirus has thrown my routine off. I love my wife, but I don't want to be in the same building with her 24 hours a day. <laughs> seven days a week and she's not she's not here but I'm sure she would tell you the same thing in in much more stringent terms you know so I find little arguments have increased and you know um, sometimes I'm just a crabby old man I hate to admit it I hate to admit the crabby part and I really hate to admit the old part but it is what it is and uh, so I need to make more calls I, I you know, and some days I make them for myself, and some days I just say, "You know what? I got nothing to do." and I, I, one day I just called ten members up from all over the world and just called them and said, "Hi, how you doing? I need to talk to you. What about I don't know I just I just need to talk to somebody uh, to get me out of that isolating obsession with sex and self. and then in in doing that, to make sure that when I am being a crabby old man, that I'm, uh, that I'm working step 10, that I'm trying to stay current, that I'm not getting, uh, that I'm not building up a whole new fourth through ninth step because I'm such a jerk that I just say to my wife, yeah, I, I was being a crabby old man. I'm sorry. And then try to get back into the spirit of, um, of a deeper faith. You know, I called my spiritual director. He's a priest I've known for God, how long have I known? I don't know, 30 some years. And, uh, you know, he reminded me that this thing is bigger than us, we don't understand it and it's very upsetting, but at the same time, there is a power greater than ourselves working in this in a way that we can't begin to understand. And so, you know, his message to me was just keep doing what you do and, you know, just work harder at it because you're gonna need to for a while. And and when you don't feel faith, just pray for faith and faith will come. So um, that's all I got. Thanks.
2: Are the lost addict.
1: Answer? Uh,
2: thank you very much, Mike, for your share. That was just great to hear and, and the honesty and, and very uh, the message of strength and hope was just great. The question that I have is when or how would you say that uh, this is just too much of intaking the taking in the loss, and then I have to do something about it. The reason that I'm asking this question is that sometimes I'm I'm walking on the street, and without me realizing, I come to my senses, and I realize that I've been I've been in a in a in a. I don't know, a a memory from the past, lostful memory, you know, and then it, this has been going on for ten seconds or whatever. I take action immediately by praying about it. But sometimes just that period of how much I haven't been aware of it, sometimes it kind of concerns me that have I been doing this for too long and I haven't been aware of it. Thank you.
1: Thank thank you, Farzad. Um yeah, you know, it it's it's interesting. Um I, myself, if, if I let, uh, whether it be a, a, a fantasy in my head or, or something or someone I see uh, on the street or whatever, if I let that linger for more than, you know, a, a, a few seconds, and by a few, I mean like three or four, you know, uh, I, I start to get in some serious trouble. Um, I think as I'm sober longer, I'm, I'm less surprised. In other words, sometimes when we're new, we think it comes out of nowhere. But as we're sober for a while, we realize, no, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes from somewhere. And sometimes we understand where that somewhere is and sometimes we don't. But uh, the more honest we get about what goes on in our heads, the sooner we catch that we're starting to head back toward a negative way of thinking, whether it be the way we're looking at someone, whether it just be we're creating something in our head. And so the sooner that I... You know, and if it's just a quick look, and I realize I'll just say a quick prayer and move on, that's fine. But if but if it stays with me, you know, for more than a few seconds, then it's time for me to get on the phone and tell somebody because I find that, as I said earlier, the the surest remedy for me getting lost in myself, in that isolating obsession with sex and self, is is to talk to somebody else. So uh, it's good that you're aware of it. I think Farzad and. Uh, I think as you, as you stay sober, that 10 seconds will get down to, you know, two or three, because you'll be more aware of when you're kind of heading off the beam, the more sober that, that you know, that you get. so.
2: Thank you very much. Denise, please go ahead. I see that you have your hand
3: raised. Hi. Hi. Thanks, Mike. It was lovely listening to you, and I could really relate to... Applying the steps in the program to the covid situation, you know, and the fear and this new way of socializing and being isolated i was i spent four months with not seeing anybody I knew, you know, I was locked in my house and I had a lodger, but it wasn't the same, you know um and it was very frightening, but I'm really so grateful for this program because i think it really develops resilience you know and we have so many solutions and so many tools you know i've been on calls all over the world i'm in a very variety of fellowships i do service you know and the screen time was hot you know it was heavy you know like that i can hear that frustration, uh, being on the screen time. Um, but now, I suppose we've been opened up a bit, and I've been just literally—I have been swimming in the sea, kayaking, you know,
2: just seconds.
3: outside with God. You know, I just need to be out with God in nature and not thinking about what could happen, what's happening. I can't watch the news. I can't participate in anything beyond my, my psychological bubble, you know. Uh, and I have to say I'm going through a really good patch, which is really weird to say I have more money than I've ever had. I've got a new job. Um, my mood is good, you know. So this program, um, it is miraculous. It doesn't solve the world problems, but it helps me and solves me of my own problems. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Denise, and I'm glad you mentioned the outdoors because uh, I, I did mention briefly about my walking, but I also get down, it, We Chicago is on Lake Michigan, and many, many times this summer I've literally just gone and jumped in the lake <laughs> because I just needed to be out, so it does help, yeah. Thank you.
2: Stephen, go ahead, please. Uh, yeah, thank you, Luke. Uh, thanks, Mike. I have really enjoyed your share big time. Uh, uh thank you uh thank you for the lack of opinions in it uh i i'm really allergic to, to to people teaching me and people giving their opinions and i just love it when people just share their experience and what works for them i was really touched by your chair and I, a lot of identification um as a lustre holly i wasn't big time either I, I really identify with that but um not big time, but long, long, long term. Very long term. It's taken me. I, I have been, my first SA meeting was over 25 years ago. And it's taken me this long to get just nine months sober. And I'm scared shitless of losing it. uh yeah that's the truth yeah and uh the covid for me was fabulous i i just loved the covid i i got a sponsor i wrote steps out started zoom meetings learned how zoom worked uh did service like we've heard i i just love covid uh you know and I got paid about 90% of my normal money for doing nothing, which was brilliant. So, <laughs> <laughs> time. so the COVID, the, yes, It's time. Okay. I'll stop talking, but you know, a lot of gratitude tonight and thanks for centering, centering me up. Uh, thanks, Stephen. Uh, thanks, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. For, thanks, thanks, for your, thanks.
0: Thanks, for your, thanks for your
1: nine months. And uh, if I can ever help, just, just give me a shout. You can get my information from Luke.
2: I, I imagine. So, Thanks, Mike. God bless. Thank you, everyone. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Stephen. Carolina, you're on.
3: Hello. Uh, okay, I'm going to read because I prefer to read, okay? Uh, thank you for your honesty. Your share was very focused and clear for me. And you are very humble because with. 30 years of sobriety to talk about fear uh, and you need not, and that you need more help and more calls so this shows me that recovery gives gives me the opportunity to be was I was supposed to be a human being so thank you po- for being A human being.
1: (laughs) Thank you. That's very, very kind. And uh, yeah, you know, some people will say to me, geez, you still have fear after you're sober all these years. And it's like, my job is not my job is not to look good. In fact, I always tell my sponsors, my job is to look bad. My job is to tell you what's really going on. And a lot of times there's a lot of good in there for sure. But there's also what's going to keep me sober is, is telling you what's, you know, what's real. So if I just come out and say, hey, I'm sober 36 years, and I got my act together, and everything's great, nothing ever goes wrong. Well, first of all, it's bull crap. and anybody who says it isn't is, is either you know crazy or a liar. And and second of all, it isn't going to help me stay sober. I'm still a sexaholic. I'm one, one one bad decision away from throwing 36 years away. Now, I don't think it's going to happen because of you people and, and the work that we all do together, but... Uh, yeah, no, it's it's all it's all about uh, rigorous honesty, not about looking good. And and I can forget that, believe me. But I I try very hard not to. And and the and the COVID crisis has has helped me in that regard because <laughs> whatever overconfidence I had is 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 difficult to maintain in this in this period, at least for me. So anyway, thank you.
2: Mm-hmm. Thanks, Carolina. Thanks, Mike. So be.
1: Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mike, for your share. Um, one quick question. There's a prayer in the White Book. There's a prayer that my sponsor tells me to say, and it basically goes something like, you know, God, whatever I'm looking for in this woman or this other lust object, let me find it in you. Mike, can you tell me how you understand that prayer? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I think, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of ways to look at it, but I guess the way I, I would look at it is, um, Whatever I'm looking for in that lust object is a misconnection whatever, for whatever reason. You could just keep it simple and say, just because I'm a sexaholic or, or whatever's going on that makes me want to misconnect. Um, I might think it's a real connection at the time, but it's not. Uh, but if I ask my higher power, whatever I'm looking for there, can I find it in you? Well, what I'm going to find in my higher power is, again, quoting Roy, the real connection. Um, because God is for the sexaholic, uh, and that I think is also a quote from the White Book, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, God is for the sexaholic. Sometimes the sexaholic is not for the sexaholic. You know, when I'm when I'm starting to head in the wrong direction, what what the sexaholic wants is lust, but lust isn't any good for me. It's just a big lie. Um, but God's always for me. So if I can if I can whatever I'm looking for in that isolating obsession with sex and self, whatever it is that I'm looking for, it's gonna be a misconnection. However, briefly it it pleases me in the long run. And I'm, I I mean, I can only speak for myself, but in the long run, it will make me hate myself. That's my experience. So um, I think for me, that's what the prayer means, is if if I can, whatever I'm looking for, It's a misconnection, but if I can look for it in God, it becomes the real connection. Thank you very much, Fero.
0: Hi, Mike. This is Fero from Slovakia. I remember your talk from Nashville. It was amazing, and uh, also this talk. And I would like to ask you. You told that you married when you were three months sober. So, how did you approach like finding a wife? Because, like, uh, I know that. I'm afraid that, like, if I want to start dating, that I will be lasting in the process. But, like, one other old-timer advised me that somebody else should choose, like, a wife for me, and this is something I really do not like, this idea at all, and I'm afraid of that as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> so how did you approach that?
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, my situation, uh, uh, I'm married to Kathy, and, and I, I met Kathy when I was 20 years old, and uh i married her when i was 27 years old so although i married her when i was three months uh sexually sober that is true uh by then i was also sober from uh, alcohol almost four years and i was well into uh recovery so the decision to marry her was the best one i ever made i don't know if it's the best one she ever made but it's definitely the best one i ever made and uh you know, and it was made with the aid of, 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 of sponsorship and program. Um, so I, I don't necessarily, I don't want to say that I recommend, you know, getting married three months sober. I actually don't. It worked out okay for me. Uh, but um, I think in terms of, you know, how, to, how do you find someone that you might be compatible with and spend the rest of your life with? I I know it's going to, I know know, people really want an answer to this question. And my answer always disappoints them. It's stay sober. Um, they're like, yeah, we know that, but give me something else. there's not much else. Stay sober. Uh, and when you're sober long enough and you know, people say, well, when's that? Is it six months? When can I date? Six months, a year. You know, they, they even have this, this, this argument in alcoholics anonymous and they're just, they're just alcohol drunks. But you know, The thing that's broken in us is our ability to relate to another human being. We treat them as objects, yet they're human beings. And yet we want to know, like, you know, we're sober three days, and we want to know when can we date, when can we get married. It's like, honestly, some of us can never get married. Some of us are so broken that we're never going to be able to make that connection. But most of us probably can at some point when there there is no time frame. I mean, it certainly probably shouldn't be, you know, Quickly, but um, you know when maybe when I've maybe when I've stayed sober long enough to to work the twelve steps and I'm in I'm in somewhat then of a you know uh, a, a mentally spiritually healthy human being maybe when my sponsor sees something in me that says uh, yeah I think you're ready and then even when you're ready are you willing to follow your sponsor's direction as to how to so, you know, uh, we had a guy in Chicago, uh, was one of the first guys, certainly in our group, and but I think even in the country, who, who literally went through an old-fashioned courtship process. He, he, he took his wife out, and the first time I said to him, like, coffee only, an hour max, just get to know her. And then very slowly, over a period of a couple of years, he got to know this woman. And eventually, they got married. Um, And so am I willing to stay sober no matter what, work the steps, and then take my sponsor's direction? And it's not really about, if I'm in a hurry, here's something else I learned that I should have said in my talk. Urgency is the enemy of recovery. There are times in life where I need to be urgent. If my house is burning down, that's a true emergency. I need to urgently get out of my house. But 90% of what I think of as emergencies are just that I'm anxious, I'm nervous, and I'm uptight, and I think something needs to change, and it needs to change yesterday. These are false emergencies. They might be real issues that can be worked out over time if I stay sober with a sponsor, but they're not emergencies. And, you know, a person who's been a sex drunk for you know, most of their lives suddenly thinking that it's urgent that they get in a relationship and get married or just get in a relationship or when am I ever going to have sex again or whatever combination of all that stuff. It's just like, no, it's not. Urgency is the enemy of recovery. So,
2: Thank you, Mike. Arash? Yes, um, my name is Arash Seksalik. Thank you so much, Mike. when you start to talk i was reminded about eight eight years ago when i was in a very dark situation tough with studying and last and i uh, received your tapes old tapes and i was really enjoying days listening to that in the metro and sleeping and i was also imagining you how you look like uh, you had a little bit darker in my imagination. Otherwise, you look quite similar as you do in reality. So uh, <laughs> I'm grateful for that. Uh, really grateful. You helped me a lot, uh, even without knowing you. I appreciate that. Our short question, I, would, I wish to know what is your daily recovery routines you do from the moment you wake up until you sleep. Thank you.
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, so when I wake up, i uh i read two readings i read from the uh uh 24-hour book and uh i don't know why i got something in the way of your face here but anyway hopefully it'll go away there we go Uh, i read from the 24-hour book and then i read from the, the scriptures from my religious tradition just to try to get focus for the day um i make two calls every single day now you know I suppose there might be one or two days a year here or there that I forget or something, but like I make two calls every day. This this occurred because about I don't know seven or eight years ago, I I had pretty much stopped making calls because I get so many calls. You know, on an average day, I might get anywhere from uh, five to ten calls. You know, a day, so I stopped making calls. And when my group found out about this, they held a check meeting for me. And they basically read me the riot act and they said, uh, we don't care if you're Mike C. We don't care if you have 36 years of sobriety. You're not making calls because you get so many calls. Getting a call is very different from making a call. And they basically made me promise that I'd make two calls a day for the rest of my life. (laughs) And since there were more of them than there were of me, I said, "Okay." (laughs) And so I I make two calls every day. and, And as I mentioned earlier, I try very hard. To make sure when I make those calls that I tell the truth about my thought process, my emotions, my where my head is at spiritually every day. Uh, I go to about three meetings a week. Um, and uh, I also, in my case, uh, I try to stay also connected to my wife in the sense that if anything's getting off kilter, to make sure I check in with her at least once every couple of days to just say, how are we doing? Meaning her and I, you know. So um uh so that's a lot of what I what I do. Thank you. Thank you. I
0: have to go.
2: You can just jump in because maybe I don't see your screen. Oh Karin, go ahead.
3: Hi Um, uh, This is Karim from from Cairo, Egypt. Well, I have a question to Mike. Thank you so much for your shaver, it's really helpful. But uh, I have something or or a question that I'm always asking, especially with with the new uh, sobriety date that I have at the moment. So um, I feel the spiritual life and I feel uh, the the high power spirits sometimes. And sometimes I feel, okay, there is nothing. Okay, I'm just feeling okay, I'm sober. There is nothing happening in my life but I don't feel the same spiritual things that, that I felt a couple of days ago. So I'm not too sure why that is that because I'm doing something wrong with my recovery or the spirit is there. It just, uh, come out when when needed. So this is the question that I need to ask Mike. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Kareem. How
3: long are you sober, Kareem? Uh, the new sobriety is 18 days.
1: I'm sorry. 18 days, 18 days. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's very normal to have periods where you feel the spiritual connection and periods where you don't. I mean, that's if if you follow even even uh, some of the more famous people in terms of uh, saints or or whatever. You know, almost all of them had periods where they they didn't feel the presence of a, a higher power. So I, I think that's normal. But I also think, particularly uh, at eighteen days. Um, I know this is going to be shocking, but I would focus less on how you feel and more on what you're doing. Um, Yes. If I'm, you know, if Luke's my sponsor and I've got 15 days and I feel like crap, I need to tell Luke, I feel like crap for sure. But then I need to listen to what Luke tells me to do about it and do it. Uh, The way that that Roy puts it in the white book is take the actions and the feelings will follow. And I think that that's very important. Sometimes we get so caught up in our feelings. Well, if I feel God's there, he's there. And if I feel God's not there, he's not there. Well, that's kind of shortchanging God a little bit, especially since he's God, you know. (laughs) I mean, God's there whether I feel him or not. Um, But I'm more likely to feel his presence if I do what I need to do to stay sober on a daily basis. And, and so in, in the example, it's like I tell Luke, I feel like crap today. I don't feel the presence of God. And Luke says, well, why don't you get to a meeting and call two other people and call me back tonight and tell me how the day went. If I do all that, I'm going to be more likely at least to feel the presence of a power greater than myself than if I just sit around and wonder where he is. So.
2: Thank you, Mike. We we have to start wrapping it up. Maybe somebody still has a short chair or a short question.
1: Hi, this is uh, Solomon. Go ahead, Solomon. Okay. Um, I just uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you, Mike, for uh, sharing your uh, um, for sharing your um, for qualifying, and uh, second of all. I just uh, I just wanted to share that uh, that I've been uh, going through quite uh, uh, through quite a bit of uh, resentment. Maybe I'll share a little more about it in the parking lot if people ask. Okay, that's it. <laughs>
0: thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.